Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. I want to speak today on this thought, you're a good man. And I want to say to every person here, every man, I want to say to you, you're a good man. Would you join me in saying that to the person around you that's a man? Say, you're a good man. <laughs> you is a good man. <laughs> that's not good English, but it felt good. You is a good man. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> a good man, they say a good man is hard to find. And depending on who you ask the question to, they could say, well, I got me a good man, or they could talk about the good men in their life. Or you could have some negative things to say, because uh, I remember one time we was ministering to this one dear sister, and she'd been hurt, her feelings hurt, and, and done wrong by a man several times. So part of me was questioning the kind of men she was picking, but the other part was she'd been done wrong. And she looked at me and Pastor Bev, and the funny thing is she had one, she had, she had on a pair of glasses and was missing one arm. Have you ever tried to wear glasses and you're missing one arm and you're doing everything to keep it on your face? And so I could not get my eyes off of her glasses. The whole time we were counseling with her, I just kept looking at her glasses. And because they were falling down, her breath was fogging up. <laughs> I mean, it was so comical. It was YouTubeable. It was so comical. And what took the cake was, she said, <laughs> and while she was doing her head like this, the glasses were going, <laughs> she goes, I don't need me no man. <laughs> That's what she said, and I was thinking, honey, you do, you do, you do. Anyway, <laughs> welcome to the ministry. I mean, that was a fun moment, you know, had a good time, but there are good men in the, in the world, and God has reserved some good men and some good ladies, and we spoke about ladies on Mother's Day. We're going to talk about men today, but this is the thought that the Lord gave me, you're a good man. I'm not preaching about Charlie Brown, although I represent his look today. But I want you to go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, and I want to read a verse of Scripture that speaks so significant to every man, and every family for that matter. In verse 22 of chapter 13, this passage written by Solomon, who is the, considered to be the wisest man on the earth, that God gave him great wisdom because he didn't ask for wealth. He gave him wealth and wisdom. And we could debate on Solomon's end, but he did write good Proverbs. In fact, I would encourage you to read one proverb a day. It's a real blessing to you. It adds nutrients to your wisdom factor. And uh, how many know we, we need to be a little wiser than we are? Before you post on Facebook, read a proverb. <laughs> it might just help somebody. Amen. But he says this, he says, a good man leaves an inheritance. And I know everybody's happy about the inheritance. You're waiting for your rich aunt to die so you can get yours. Or maybe you want to be written into something. But when somebody starts telling you that they've got an inheritance for you, you know, all of a sudden you start thinking about, oh, debt elimination. You're thinking about real estate, land. 
Uh, <clears throat> that may be true, but you might inherit something that's been foreclosed on, or you might inherit something that uh, is not what all it seemed. But the Bible said a good man, say good man. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And I thought this was funny. I'm going to tell it in this. This is a Russellonian version of this. A good man leaves an inheritance not to his children, but to his grandchildren. <laughs> I got one laugh out of that. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Isn't that what he says? Now, you and I know that he's not skipping a generation. But he includes a generation beyond his self and his own children. And then it would go on to say that the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So that ought to encourage somebody today. That no matter what you go through and struggle with, that if you are in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, is what you are, by posture and position, then wealth is your entitlement. He gives us the keys to the kingdom. So if he give me the keys to the kingdom, then I can go to the house where the kingdom is and I can open up the room for healing with a key. I can open up the room for prosperity with a key. I can open up a room for mental health over here. I have the keys to function in my now. And he gave them to me. So I just wanted to kind of elaborate on that and say that the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. In fact, can I say it like this, that even if somebody else is living in the home God promised you, it can be yours if you claim the promise and then take possession. Getting to possession requires process. You've got to process your way to your promise. <laughs> And then you take possession. You can own something, but if it's not in your possession, it's not yours to enjoy. You could have a vehicle, but if somebody steals the vehicle, you may have a backup set of keys, but you got no vehicle. You got possession of something that's not in your possession. So don't focus just on the promise. Focus on the process to get to the to provision and the possession of your promise. Solomon says that a responsible man protects his future. It's worthy of writing down in your notes that if you are considered a good man, a responsible man, then you are protecting your future. They tell us that it is important to have a will. Some of you have been to the, uh, the websites where you can create a will. Some of you have uh, friends who are attorneys. You have gone into the will uh, estate planning and all of that, and that's important because a will is a legal document that indicates how you want everything that you've accumulated in your life to be distributed to those who are coming behind you. Some of you are saying, ain't gonna get much, Pastor. Well, they may or may not, but a will ordains and declares that if I pass, you get that piece of china that was in the hutch, that was in grandma's hutch and her, her mom before her, you get that piece of china to display. It indicates that those coming behind me have a plan. It also indicates that if I am making plans, then I am a future-minded person, that I'm not just existing in taking care of my needs and my wants, but I'm thinking futuristic. Those that are coming behind me, what am I imparting 
to them. I'm not thinking about today as much as I'm thinking about tomorrow. A good man isn't just thinking about physical assets, money in the bank, land, uh, stocks, bonds, all of that. But a good man is thinking about spiritual assets. If I would pass on physical assets, that's great. But if I can pass on spiritual assets, that's more important. What you leave behind generationally that has spiritual value attached to it, that's the most important thing that you could leave behind for your children and your children's children. And I'm thankful that we think about and people in our life have thought about those physical assets that have helped us, improved our life, made things a little easier for the people coming behind us, but that is enough, is not enough. I must leave behind a spiritual asset to my family. And the reason that we have so much chaos in our world is because we are not future-minded. We are past-possessed. We are focusing only on right now, what we have at our disposal now, what outfit I'm going to buy next, what restaurant I'm going to eat at today. And so when you are focused only on the moment, you're forgetting about the future and laying up in store. We have a society that is unclear about what tomorrow is going to look like. Inflation has hit us. Gas prices are soaring. I was praying for the gas pump when I was filling up. God, do something among us. Do a work within a work. Be a wheel in a wheel. Change these numbers, Lord. <laughs> he didn't. But I was praying. God, help, help a brother out. I need some help. It's hard for me to focus on tomorrow because today I'm having to dip in to provide for myself. And the Bible says in Proverbs 13 and 22 that a good man leaves what? An inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of a sinner is stored up for the righteous. The Bible has a lot to say about legacy. It has a lot to say about what are you going to pass on to the generation that's coming behind you. He said, if... That's a big if. If a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, then you could also say on the opposite that if a bad man leaves no inheritance to his children's children, a good man will, a bad man won't. So if there's no future planning, you cannot be dubbed a good man. Mm. Because a good man is not only thinking about what's happening with him today, but what is going to happen three generations from now. And so he's concerned about today, he's concerned about his children, and then he's concerned about his children's children, his grandchildren. So a man who is not three generationally minded, God says he's not a good man. Come on, somebody. Because he's not thinking long term. I'm going to help somebody today. He's only thinking about today as if tomorrow is never going to come. But in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2, in verse 10, the Bible says that there grew up a generation who did not know Joseph. 
who did not know his God. And as a result of not knowing Joseph and not knowing God, if you read on, the Bible says that it, chaos ensued because they knew not the God of Joseph. And when you read the book of Judges, you have a culture of perpetual chaos because there was no transfer of a spiritual baton. That's why the book of Judges is called Judges. God had to keep sending judges to tell people, get right. You better act right. You better do right. <laughs> Judging matters in situations in people's lives. Judges because judges were instituted before the kingship. And so God allowed judges to judge his people. And the judges, some of them were great judges. <laughs> and some of them were not so great judges. You ain't preaching with me. But the Bible says that during that time of the judges, every man did right in his own eye because there was no king in those days. In other words, there was no standard to be passed on to the generation. Everybody was just, it was a free-for-all. Oh, come on now. It was a free-for-all. Here's what I call it, societal chaos. That chaos can be rooted back to men who refuse to leave a spiritual legacy. Men who refuse to man up to God's requirement for biblical manhood. Woo, come on now. Like it or not, God starts withholding the man responsible for how legacy works or doesn't work out. So we're introduced to this passage of scripture to a man by the name of Asher. Let me tell you about Asher. Go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 7. The Bible says that Asher's sons were Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Bariah, and their sister Sarah. All of you that are expecting children, here's some names to choose from. Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, <laughs> come here Ishvi, Bariah and their sister Sarah. So if you count up four sons and one sister, one daughter, how many children did he have? Five children. And Asher has a beginning and an ending. Every one of us have a beginning and an ending. All of us have a story to tell. Where we started, where we're going, and where we're going to end up. And in the end, Asher's life comes out pretty good. But he didn't start that way, and I'll tell you why. Because Asher is the seventh son out of 12 of Jacob. Jacob had 12 children by four different women. Somebody say dysfunction. Can you imagine being raised in a home where all your siblings are divided up, you have four women who have bore 12 children, and not only that, but their daddy, Jacob, was who they call, you could call him a rolling stone. Wherever he laid his hat was his home. And if you remember, Asher participated with his brothers in trying to kill Joseph, putting him into a pit to kill him and to take his life. He was part 
of that conniving group. Oh, we all got somebody in our family conniving, two-timing, talking about people behind everybody's back. They'd be talking about you next. He is part of that group of siblings that wanted to ruin someone else's life. And don't point at anybody, but we all know somebody that don't want anybody else to be happy because they're not happy. And people who have not resolved their own issues and are not happy themselves don't want to ever see you be happy because if you become happy, then it undoes everything they said why you couldn't be happy. And it's really a reflection on them. Punch somebody appropriately and tell them God wants you to be happy and holy. But we all know some people in our life that are like this group of people, dysfunctional. And I'm not saying call your family out, but I guarantee you everybody in this room, you got some dysfunction in your family. You might get hateful with me. You don't want to amen me. That's all right. That's all right. I'm preaching to that dysfunction too. Can I tell you, I know there's a dysfunction that is affecting our function. <laughs> and so you remember his daddy, Jacob, his name, just his name meant deceiver. His name was trickster. He was a gamer. He was a big time player. Jacob was lived up to his name. In fact, God had to change his name for his promise to come to pass. God had to change his name to Israel, but Jacob knew how to game. Am I preaching to anybody? So he had played games all his life. He was a player. He rolled over that playing spirit to his children. He had 12 of them and uh, out of four different women, 12 children. So Jacob, who is the patriarch, he creates havoc in his family due to his deception that ended up rubbing off onto his boys. And then his boys tried to destroy their own brother because the apple does not fall far from the tree. And I will tell you this, that working in youth ministry for many years, we used to conduct youth camps. And we would have all these little blessings at our youth camp. And sometimes you'd want to say, come over here, you little blessing. <laughs> and you'd have to contend with cantankerous children and wonder why their attitudes were so bad. And it didn't dawn on us until their parents came to pick them up. That the apple doesn't fall far. Before you blame your children, take a look at yourself. Because here's what I say. You can pass on your ways to your kids. You can pass on your ways. Perversion, lust, deception, lying, manipulation, meanness. Have you ever met mean people? They just mean. Anxiety. Woo, it's quiet. Per nervousness, depression, dysfunction. You can pass on your ways to your children, and perhaps you're here today and you've been raised in a dysfunctional family. Maybe your dad was a player or a gamer, or maybe you grew up without a father, or he might as well have not been there as a father. All kinds of dysfunction, and it has not only affected you, it has affected your siblings. It has caused so much chaos and so much confusion in your present life that you can't even begin to think about what tomorrow is going to look like. But I've got good news to you out of 1 Chronicles 
Chronicles chapter 7, and that is Asher, that the history of his life and his background, it's not a pretty one. He was raised up in dysfunction. He was the biggest player of them all. But somewhere along the line, somewhere before you get to 1 Chronicles 7, a transformation took place in Asher's life because the next time you read about him in chapter 7, he's got the good news and he's got the good news and this is what I want you to write down. Your past does not determine your future. Who am I preaching to today that they told you you were going to be a drunk, you were going to be an alcoholic, you were going to be a player, you're going to live on the streets, you ain't never going to be successful, but you passed through the blood of Jesus and God took you out of nothing and made something. I'm preaching to somebody today. They had written you off. They told you no good thing can come out of your family. Everybody in your family's a mess. You're going to be a mess, but you can just say the curse stopped with me. My children and my children's children shall live to see the glory of God. Tell your neighbor, God's not done with me. God's not done with me. My past doesn't determine my future. I don't care how messed up your past was. I don't care how much dysfunction, how many skeletons you got in your closet. It has been bequeathed to you that you will rise up and become what God wants you to be. The people who are in your influence, God's going to use them in your going and your coming. My past does not dictate my future. And then people come around trying to remind you of your old sin. What? <laughs> that ain't me. It's just like husbands and wives reminding, always getting an argument trying to bring up something that happened 15 years ago. You still hanging on to that? Whew, Lord, you need to grow up. Here, take this, take this mint. You need a fresh outlook. Look at verse 40. You jump to verse 40. So how many children did he have? Four boys and a girl. Ishmi, Ishabu. <laughs> and then we get to verse 40, and all these were the children of Asher. And then he describes them. First of all, he said all these. Say all these. So this is what he had. He had head, they, they became heads of their fathers' houses. They were choice men, mighty men of valor, chief leaders, and they were recorded by genealogies among the army fit for battle. It was, I mean, it's recorded that these children of Asher were fit for battle. That meant, ooh, that means something. And then their number was 26,000. Asher's family totaled 26,000. Can you imagine what a group picture would look like? of 26,000 people in your family. All these, say all these. So here's what he says, first of all, that they are heads of their father's house. And this is what I wanna teach you today. His four boys became heads of houses. His daughter as well. They became leaders in their family. And a head of a house is really considered the leader of a home. Whatever Asher did when he got right, it so influenced his four boys and his daughter that they were able then to take full responsible responsibility of the reins of their house. 
I'm going to take care of the financial reign. I'm going to take care of the spiritual reign. I'm going to take care of the educational reign. I'm going to take care of the, uh, uh, the integrity reign. I, I'm going to take responsibility for my house. So what does it mean to be the head of a home? The Bible teaches that the man is to be the head of the home. Thank you, ladies, for saying amen. The Bible teaches, I'm not preaching Reader's Digest to you. I'm not preaching culture to you. I'm preaching, thus saith the word of the Lord, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the man of God. And the Bible said, whoo, my God, I have to fight demons while I'm preaching. The Bible said that the man is to be the head. That means if he is the head, then he is the one that is responsible. That's not just you saying you're the boss, woman, go get me a sweet tea while I sit here and watch the NFL all evening on the recliner doing nothing. And the Bible said that his sons became heads of households. In other words, leaders in their home. And that is, they were willing to own the responsibility of the family. Men have to man up. Men have to take responsibility. The government is not responsible to raise your children. The neighborhood is not responsible to raise your children. The school system is not responsible to raise your children. The church is not responsible to raise your children. Who is responsible? According to Ephesians chapter six and verse four. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Paul says fathers are responsible to bring up their children. The man has to own it. Mm, the man has to own it. He had to raise his sons to be leaders and be responsible. Headship is responsibility. Headship also involves direction. It involves direction whether it is you are the president or the head of a company, the head of an organization or whatever. Headship means I'm casting direction so that the people following me know where to go. I'm casting direction as the leader of my home so that my family knows where we're going. And if you're lost and you got folk who are following you, they're going to be even more lost following you because you don't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, they don't know where they're going to end up either. You've got to come to a place where you are saying like Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The government's not raising my children. The internet and Hollywood's not raising my children. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I have to decide as a man, my God, that I am not going to let somebody else lead my children and so that I don't have to pay support so I don't have to deal, so I can just live my life uh, free, footloose, and fancy, and live my life like a player the rest of my life. Oh, to be a head of a home means uh, that I am so in close proximity to God that the voice of God is speaking into my ear, and the Holy Ghost is telling me, this is the way, walk you in it. And that's what God is saying, I will lead you into green pastures. Uh, I will show you where your provision is. Uh, I will show you where your blessing If I am the 
the head of the home. I am the spiritual responsibility of the home. It is not my wife's responsibility to lead this house. It is my responsibility to man up, to get my family. God help the men who send their wives to church while they lay at home with their hobby. My God, we got a generation that is headed to hell. We got to stand in the gap, make up a hedge, and men have to stand up and take responsibility. If you can't get a divine perspective from God, then all you will see is what you see. It takes a divine perspective to see what cannot be seen. So I have to hear from heaven. How do I lead my family? We live in a day of male abandonment where men are increasingly refusing to own it. And I'm not bashing men. Maybe it's because your father didn't own it. Maybe it's because your mother was domineering and she threw skillets at people. <laughs> Maybe it's because you have negative influences in culture that you think it's normal to live like the Simpsons. I think it's normal. But whatever it is, it is time to come back home. Asher turned his family around. Whatever caused him to turn it around, I don't know, but the, his children got it right. If you're going to be the head, you can't just see the acorn. You have to see the tree inside the acorn. And you have to be thinking about the future. It's always bigger than what you are. It's not about you, boo-boo. It's about the people coming behind you. And at some point, he had to have this conversation with God. How do I fix this? How do I change my father's ways? It amazes me that if you've got alcohol in your family, you shouldn't be flirting with alcohol. That spirit, there's a reason they call it spirits. But that thing can get a hold of you and change everything in your life. And so I, I stand in a place where, you know, I'm dealing with people who, oh, pastor, I can, I can do what I want. Well, sure you can. But do you know how many people that I have counseled who've lost everything? And they would say to people who are flirting with danger, what are you doing? Because they themselves had to be delivered. But this is where we get people say, well, that's religion. Is it? No, the Bible said that the Spirit of the Lord will lead us into truth. And there are some things, it's not religion and it's not church laws. It's the Spirit in you. So you have to find out how spiritually attuned are you? Well, bless God, I'm the man. Well, if you're the man, then lead your children correctly in Scripture and man up and take responsibility. Don't just keep trying to convince your family that you are right because you don't want to give up that which you crave for. The second thing that went over well, the second thing about Asher's sons is he calls them choice men. Choice men, that means they were cream of the crop, choice men. They, were, they weren't the run-of-the-mill guys. They were guys that had made a turnaround. In fact, I can almost hear Asher saying, my boys ain't going to end up like everybody else's boys. My boys aren't going to just be running, running with the crowd. I'm not going to raise up 
people who are going to despise God. I'm raising up prophets in my house and apostles in my house and evangelists in my house and pastors in my house and, and, and teachers in my house. I'm raising up men of excellence and choice, the cream of the crop, the creme brulee. I, I'm raising up the choice. I'm going to raise them up to be the men and women that God has recreated them to be because it is my responsibility as a husband, as a father, as a man of God to raise my children. And, and, and I want to say to all the single parents that are here today and tell you that how much we appreciate you and love you for your pulling double duty and having to raise your children without the help of another spouse. We value you. Come on, somebody. We value you. We appreciate you. But I will say this. Even though we value you and appreciate you and applaud you for your efforts of serving in double duty, we can never allow that to men to get off the hook for the children that they had part in creating and then walked away and abandoned their kids and aren't helping them. It's going to make somebody mad. If they're not paying their bills, take them to court and deal with it. They are responsible for their children. You didn't get pregnant by yourself. Somebody had to help you. God wants your kids kids, especially the boys, to be raised as men of high standards. And if they don't have a man in the home, then they need to be exposed to men in a village or a tribe of people who understand the value of raising up a kingdom man in society. I'm not talking about perfect men, but men who are moving and are not mediocre in their faith. We have a generation of young people today who have no conscience that beeps nothing to say this is wrong. It is the head of the house. It is the responsibility of the head of the house to set the conscience. So there has to be established a divine standard that when you walk through a struggle, you don't play the system. When you go through a struggle, you don't look for loopholes. You don't try to connive your way and get the government to pay man up own it you have to set the standard come on church but you don't change the standard you administer the standard with love and with compassion but what we have today there are two extremes out there one is so compassionate that there is no standard. We love you. We know that you're trying. We, don't, we just know you have good intentions. And so we lower the standard to let that one get by and that one to get by because we don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. I'm telling you there will come a time in America and a time before the coming of the Lord that you can't be worried about offending people and you can't be worried about preaching this gospel and wondering if they're going to like you or not. My Bible said preach the truth and cry aloud and spare not. This is the word that I've been entrusted to preach and I'll preach it till God calls me home to glory and it's not my word it's his word and the moment that I no longer believe this then you need to move me out of this pulpit and find you a different preacher who believes in thus saith the word of the Lord. You will have to preach the truth even when your family doesn't like it and your home doesn't like it and your neighbors don't like it but you cannot change the standard because you're worried about offending boo-boo the other extreme is you have the standard without showing compassion that's kind of the church I was grew up it was so holiness and hard shell if if it was fun it was a sin 
If you smiled too much, they thought you was up to something, there must be sin in your life. But the goal is to move people with compassion to the standard. The third thing it says about Asher's sons, and in particular, he says they were mighty men. Mighty men. They were raised to be warriors. Mighty men. Not sissy men. Mighty men don't wear purses and eyeliner and high heels. They're gonna make some people mad. They'd be like, I can't believe they're talking like that. <laughs> oh Lord. He wasn't raising up mediocre men, he was raising up mighty men. See, the Bible is what sets the standard. It don't matter if you agree with it or not. The Bible is the standard. If you love your family enough, you will teach them the Bible, not your persuasion. Because your interpretation is not going to bring people to heaven. The scripture will. And the Bible says they were raised to be warriors. You have to understand this. We're in a war. We have spiritual warfare at our, at our hands right now. You got to fight for your kids. You got to fight for their souls. You got to fight against every liberal spirit that's trying to destroy America. You got to fight against them trying to kick God out of schools and then a, a tragedy happens and they want prayer to come back into school. Uh, you can't have both. You can't have it both ways. A murdering spirit that's in the world. And we got to teach our kids, you can't do what the world is doing. We are living in a post-Christian world. It is called post-modernism, where absolute standards of right and wrong are no longer more. You can't even find right or wrong anymore. We've given new names to old sins to justify how we live. And people are just making up the rules as they go. What is wrong in America? I say we better lift our voice and cry out to God and ask God for forgiveness and repentance. You can't just send your children out to play with anybody. You can't even let them go spend the night with anybody anymore. You better be watching where they're at. You better put a tag on them. You put an air tag on your children and know where they are. You say, Pastor, what about their freedom? Boo-boo don't need freedom. Boo-boo needs a revelation of God in their life where the Holy Ghost will wake them up in the middle of the night and say you are mine and you belong to me and I cast the spirit of homosexuality off of you. You better fight for your children. You better fight for your babies. You better go to war. This is not the time to be a manzy pansy labor. You better fight and say what's true. Preaching like this won't fill a church. Preaching like this will make you run somewhere where you don't have to be accountable for nothing. And the Bible says in Nehemiah 4 and 14, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. The last thought is this. He raised them to be mentors, chief leaders. And if you read this in another translation, it says that they were to be heads of princes. So, a prince is a king in waiting. You raise your children to be kings in waiting. He said they were heads of princes. They were raising future kings. 
If you don't take responsibility, if men, oh, I'm preaching to myself. I'm a father, I'm a grandfather. They've been duped by this world's teaching in the schools. Oh, Lord, it's just nasty. If you were born with male parts, you don't belong in the women's restroom. If you were born with women's parts, you don't belong in the men's restroom. It ain't nothing new. You've known that. You already know it. <laughs> the devil is a lie. Who are you going to sit and believe that? Cuckoo. And we have castrated spiritually men because they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. And when your man doesn't lead his home and lead his family in things that are spiritual, the children just get into all kinds of stuff. They don't know what's on their phones. You better snatch the that $12,000 phone you bought for your children. You better snatch it up. You better find every fake Instagram account, every double Instagram account where they're on their pooching and pushing their breasts out and their hind end. Why do you need to take a picture like that? What are you trying to attract? An old dirty man? I got to close before I get stoned up here. I meant rocks. I know my crowd. <laughs> Look what the Bible says about the end of them. In verse 40, and the number of them enrolled by genealogy for service in war was 26,000 men. They raised up 26,000 men who were fit for battle. Can that be said about your family? <clears throat> Excuse me. Can that be said about your children? Can I say that about my kids and my grandbabies? We have got to take a stand. And I'm not up here preaching politics. You know I don't preach politics. I'm not political. I'm biblical. I'm going to preach the Bible. If it hits you right or hits you wrong, you take it up with him. It's not about me. I'm preaching the word. And anytime I'm not preaching the truth, you call me out on it. Call me out on this if I'm not preaching the truth. But if I am preaching the truth, I'm not offending you. The word is. I got a responsibility to raise 26,000 men. And I don't mean just the men. I'm talking about the women too. I got a responsibility. I go to sleep with that at night. I pray about people who I see they're missing in action or they're going through some kind of spiritual funk or they're just doing all kinds of ungodly stuff and they're bold enough to post it. Sister Penny used to say, if you're gonna, if you got an addiction of something and you're trying to get victory, then hide in a closet till you get the victory. Don't be out here broadcasting it. But we're in a time now where people just do whatever they want to do. I dare you to say something to me. Who is quiet? I want the brethren that I had asked to help me to come, if they will. But let me give you this verse <clears throat> for those of you that may say, well, you know, Pastor, it's too late. <clears throat> it's too late for me. I've done sowed my oats. I got 25 children. I, I, 
made a mess of stuff. Nobody trusts me anymore. Then I don't keep my word. I tell people I'm going to do this or that. I've been addicted to this and addicted to that and all kinds of stuff. But the Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 21, this is Jacob, the patriarch. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, I mean, that's up there, right? It's in the end. He blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Leaning with everything he had to impart a blessing. And I was thinking how blessed I am and how we are as a church to have one of our spiritual fathers in this house, Pastor Hill. I would not, I would not give up his blessing for anything. I want a blessing from this man in every season of my life. Pastor Hill, you are a good man. You are a good man. We have to reach a place where we pass on the legacy. When I see men like Sean, who's an all-star athlete at Ben Davis, every time he comes to this church, his face is lit up with a smile. Now, I don't follow Sean around with a camera to know and be knowing how he lives. I see what he brings here, but I also recognize the Spirit of God in him. And a legacy means, and I'm not saying you were doing this, Sean, but if Sean ever got off track, a legacy means that somebody has poured enough into him, he will find his way back. And so I would say that we have to produce a legacy of vibrant faith for people to find their way back. And I'm going to ask Damien if you wouldn't mind moving this out of the way for, if I could, a little bit here. I'm going to sit down amongst our brothers. I asked them, and isn't it amazing they all try to dress like me today? <laughs> yeah. But I had some questions that I wanted to ask them and that I wanted you to hear from a father or from a man who's transitioning in his life and wanting to know exactly what direction that he should take in areas of his life. And when it pertains to spiritual legacy, the things that we are concerned about and asking God about. I want to ask some questions, and they don't know what I'm going to ask exactly. But I told them this morning I had some questions, and I would ask them some questions, and we would just go from there. But here's one of the things that I would ask, and that is this. Who are one or two people, dead or alive, who have had the greatest impact on your life and how? I'm going to pass the mic first to Pastor Hill. Who's a one or two people, dead or alive, that have the greatest impact on your life and how? Okay. My stepfather uh, had a great impact. It's your grandpa, Jim Helton. He married my mother after my dad got killed. Mom, I had five children, and they had six so there was 11 of us. He was a coal miner. And before he passed away, after many years, he raised us children. 
just him and I were together one day, and I said, I want to say something to you. I said, I want you to know I love you and I appreciate you. It took a good man to marry a woman with five children and then have six more and raise us all to love each other. He was a great example for me as a husband. He made over my mother in our presence. He, was, he made over his children. He, he, was a, he was a strong disciplinarian, but he had a lot of good morals that he passed on to us kids. He had a great impact upon my life. I think it had a lot to do with knowing how to be a somewhat a husband, a daddy. And then I had a spiritual uh, father, John Burnett, pastor of Pentecostal Church of God in Black Oak, Indiana. Him and his wife helped me to get started in the ministry. And they had a great impact upon me spiritually. I want to ask Deacon Ron Howard to answer that same question and share with you his heart on who's one or two people that dead or alive have had the greatest impact on you and how. Well, um, for me, it was um, my grandfather. Uh, he was a pastor and a church planter, and um, he was also the father of 10 children. Um, at the same time, so um, I've mentioned before, and some that haven't heard it, but he passed away, and he was interned at the first church he planted, and um, they laid him to rest at the last church he planted. Um, it, it was a long list in, in between, but those two were kind of like the, the beginning, you know, the bookmarks. Um, the second person is my wife, because I, she keeps me grounded. I tell people that she keeps me grounded. I can... I can be vocal in some things, and um, she'll kind of pull my coattail, so that helps. <laughs> That's good. I want to ask Pastor Ethan this question. When you were most discouraged, how did you overcome discouragement in your life? Um, so there are two, two uh, I remember a, a key moment in my life where I was really battling discouragement and I just shared a little bit of that this past Sunday, but um, uh, two, two things that brought me out of that, number one was prayer, and the second was uh, my grandfather, who was, um, at the time, probably the only strong male role model in my life, but I remember I moved out of my mom's house, I was living with my grandparents, and I remember I was so like discouraged and depressed and just battling all these different thoughts and emotions, and I remember they would like, they would, my, my grandparents, I mean, they would, they would make me get out of bed and they would make me go to breakfast and do all this stuff. And uh, I mean, my grandpa wouldn't let me sleep in past 6 a.m. And I mean, it was, it was a struggle. Uh, so I remember sitting across from my grandpa at breakfast and I was struggling with all this stuff and he would look at me every single morning and he would, he would look me right in the eyes and he'd say, Ethan, if you can't change it, then don't worry about it. And he didn't just say it one day, but the next day, he would repeat it. If you can't change it, then don't worry about it. And then one day it just finally clicked and um, helped me move on and helped me get through that time. 
Hey, we're gonna have times in our life when we are discouraged that we need to reach out for help. And sometimes that we voluntarily get that help and other times a father or a father figure in our life will take the ownership of us and see where we are in error and will call us out on that. It's that point that you have to determine whether you're going to receive that correction or refuse that correction. The, the determining factor has always been for me is I realized that God is being faithful to my soul, that he loved me enough to send somebody who said hard things to me because they loved me enough. And they love me enough to help me grow, you know. Pastor, uh, Pastor Cross, our student pastor, I want to ask you a question. Uh, looking back on your life as a teenager or now a young adult, are there some things that you would do differently and why? What to choose? So I would say, honestly, just uh, how much I listened, you know, like how much I paid attention to the people that have gone before me and gone through things that I haven't gone through yet, that have experienced life that I haven't experienced yet. Um, I was always a really stubborn and still am a really stubborn person. So I'll give you an example. Like, I think I was 12 years old and it was Christmas Eve and uh, I really wanted to see what I got for Christmas. So I waited till everyone went to bed and I went and opened my presents. I, I was real careful with the tape so I could put them back together. And I'm like, I got some Legos, I got a Nintendo DS, I got all this stuff, and I'm playing with it all. And my mom walks in and she starts yelling at me. And so, you know, she's like, go to bed. And so I go to bed, about 15 minutes later, I'm like, all right, she's asleep. So I... <laughs> So I go back in there and I start playing with everything again. And that's just, that's an example of, I, I really did not listen. Um, if I could go back and change that, I think that I would save myself from a lot of heartache and, you know, just a legacy of vibrant faith. I think if I could have faith in God and just have faith in people that have gone before me, I would have, you know, I would have saved, saved me a lot of time, you know. They use the analogy, you stand on the shoulders of the people that have gone before you for a reason, because you have to be willing to trust someone to stand on their shoulders. And if you're not willing to trust them, you're not gonna reap the benefits of, of you know, their wisdom and, and their experience, so. Thank you, Cross, for sharing. I wanna ask Ben, as our media director, and uh, as a young man who's been raised in this house, so he's a son in the house, but talk about the influence of a, of a natural father and a spiritual father and how those have added uh, value and legacy to your life. Sure. Yeah, I was, um, I was fortunate enough to, to grow up in a, in a home with a dad and, and be raised in the things of the Lord and stuff. But uh, I mean, in my early teenage years, there came a time where I didn't have that uh, anymore. And, and um, but like the God in his grace knew what he was doing through that because he set me on this trajectory of, of father sonship and um, just used multiple voices in my life, used pastor and stuff to sit me down and correct me, but really shaped who I was as a young teenager and, uh, and all throughout my life and, and even till today, you know, and still doing it. And so I, you know, we, we talk about legacy so much here and it's such a vital thing in the kingdom. Um, 
uh, it's just something like I've, I forever want to want it to be a focal point in my life to my children someday of, of the, of the umbrella of father sonship. And, and, and just, I think, I honestly think it's like one of the most important things you could ever, uh, experience and be under absolutely as, as, as a Christian, as a man of God, as a woman of God, um, to, 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 to find yourself underneath that, that spiritual umbrella. Thank you, Ben. Amen. I say this, he's going to get married in the fall and to Mariah. And then of course we're praying God give him many children. Amen. I told her I wanted 10, 10, 10 kids. (laughs) If you're listening, (laughs) I want to ask this question to, uh, brother Dennis, Deacon Dennis Johnson. And I want to ask your thought on this. Was there a turning point or a defining moment that helped you grow into the man you are today? I can actually think of many turning points, but the main turning point in my life is uh, I remember the exact date and uh, year back in uh, August of 96. I had already been in the church for about 12 years. I had given my life to Christ and been in the church for 12 years, in and out. (laughs) But uh, I remember that day because it was a turning point on on what I would call a Damascus experience. It it really shaped what I really truly believed about God. That's when I had my first encounter with the Holy Spirit. And it was uh, an experience in which I was delivered from uh, the addiction of drugs. And I remember it vividly because of the fact that we were having a Saturday night prayer meeting. This lady laid hands upon me. And she began to pray over me. And when she began to pray over me, I felt this a, a demon coming up off of me. Uh, and it was an experience that really shaped what I really truly believe about God. And uh, from that day on, from that day on, I've just had more and more better experiences with God from that point on. Hallelujah. There's moments that shape our life. Pastor Wayne, will you answer that same question? Do you want me to reread the question? Was there a turning point, defining moment that helped you grow into the man that you are today? Yes, I can, I can think of two that I had. Uh, spiritually, I can remember when uh, uh, my parents used to have card parties. And uh, they would, there'd be a lot of drinking going on. and. Uh, I remember during one of these weekend parties, uh, my aunt, uh, who was uh, an evangelist, had walked around the corner in the middle of the party and came in the house and began to preach the gospel. And people got saved right there. And and I remember that experience, uh, first time ever, uh, receiving Christ, uh, I remember that 
as a young man. And then the second, I think, I, I remember when a change happened in me when I became a father. Because growing up, I was, you know, I was not serious about anything. I was, you know, I was naive. I was a jokester. <laughs> so, but when I became a father, there, there was something that clicked in me. And, and I think it's because I had an example of a, of a father. You know, my father, we had our issues, but my father was there. He was so much there that my parents were divorced for years. And when I was growing up, when I went to high school, my parents had already divorced. My child didn't realize my parents were divorced until she was eight years old. <laughs> but that's because my father was always there. He was always present and at everything. And so I, I had that example. And then my grandparents were wonderful grandparents. And, and they, they treated us like we were the best thing going, I tell you. So I had that example. And so when I became a father, something there was something that clicked in me to produce, I wanted to, I wanted to mature. I wanted to be a role model. I wanted to set an example. And I wanted to, I didn't want my kids to just, just grow up. I wanted to take part in leading them and guiding them. And so that's, that was very big for me. Very Strong, and I'm gonna ask, Brother Juan, our men's leader, um, our last question, and I, it's not even anything I've wrote down, but would you talk about, because I know you, Brother Juan, uh, our men's coach, has wrote a book called Never Alone, and he tells the story how he was raised um, on the streets of L.A. alone um, with no mother and father at eight years old, homeless, on his own, making it. You know, it's a great book. You need to get a hold of it. But Juan, talk to us today, because there's a lot of guys here, ladies here, about what do you do when, you're, when you don't have that father figure? How do you, what, do, what steps do you need to take? There's a lot of steps. <laughs> there's a lot of steps, a lot of process. Um, First, I would say to all the men, get rid of your anger. As you, um, as you grow up, you start to figuring things out. Your father's not there. Life's been rough. Um, you, as a man, you become really anger, really angry of life. How is it fair for other people not, not having a father? Um, and listen. That's a big thing, just listening. Listening to um, people that got places in your life. 
I mentioned it in, my, in, in the book, and I mentioned it to a lot of guys that I've spoken to. You know, even unsaved people pray. Before you even come to church, so it's built within us to pray, to ask for help. Um, growing up without no father figure, growing up with no parents, um, growing up in a lot of dysfunction, that's something that I didn't want for my kids. I have four boys and a little girl, so I'm working on my 26,000. Um, my turning point was when I, when I first when I first got saved, and uh, it was kind of it was kind of funny too because I was kind of like making a deal with God. I was like, okay, well, if you're real, let's do this. Let's 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 uh, let's give this a try, and I'm gonna hold you to it. And I can tell you, um, He's been there. He's been there when my biological father couldn't be there. That's why I keep, that's why the book was called Never Alone. Because even through their hardest time, you're never alone. Even through, through being homeless, you're never alone. Being through the toughest situations that life could ever throw at you, you're never alone. When I became a father myself, I told myself, I said, this is my time. This is my time to change everything that has happened in my life. For my kids, um, when I became a father, not only did, did, did I say this is my time, but just like Pastor Wayne said, Something shifts in you. Something shifts within you tremendously. And God is what puts that shift in you to mature, to become more responsible, to, to, to understand what legacy you're getting ready to leave behind. Um, but those are the kind of steps you have to take. Get rid of the anger. Start paying attention. Listen to good wisdom. Listen to older generation, to coaches that will be there, even if you don't think they're coaches. But I tell my boys a lot of the time, I'm your father. Yes, I'm your friend, but I am not your buddy. I'm going to tell you what you don't want to hear. And if you have a friend that tells you what you don't want to hear, that's probably solid advice that they're giving you. Don't run away from that. So those are the steps that I would, I would think. And uh, get rooted, get connected in a church, um, understand what having a spiritual father is, um, understand the father-sonship father relationship. And I thank God every day that he allows me to be a father. I thank God every day of all the mentors that are even here in this church. Um, a huge mentor is my pastor. 
and uh, God would give you what the world hasn't been able to give you. Hallelujah. I want to ask, if you'll allow this, I want to ask every man, male, if you're male, to come to the front here and just fill this whole area up, if you will. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over the men, all the men. Ladies, let's give all these men a great big hand as they come. Fill this whole front up. Amen. The Lord is so good to us. He helps us. He holds us up. He lifts us up and encourages us. Fill this whole area and come right on in. Isn't it wonderful to see all these men? These are the men of God. I made a statement. I made a statement earlier and I said that thank God for the women of the church because I grew up in a church where there was more women than there were men. And historically, most denominations, even church groups, there's been a lot more women than there are men. So I want to say hats off to the ladies today because there are some churches that would have closed if the women didn't keep it open. And I'm being honest, I'm being real. There's something significant when a man steps up to lead. There's something that happens when a man steps up and says, it's for me and my house. I don't have to be perfect, but I am determined to make a crooked path straight. I'm determined to walk out in faith, to lead my family. I'm determined. I may not get it right 100% of the time, but I'm trying. And I'm going to keep going. And I want to say to all you men that are watching and all of you that are here this morning, you are a good man. You are a good man. You are a good man. I want you to lay your hand upon your chest. And I want you to say, I am a good man. And the reason I have you to profess it over yourself is because in the, in the news and in the world, a lot of times we're not... Men aren't applauded for just being faithful. Seemed like attention's given the wrong direction. But today we give attention to all the good men. Say, I am a good man. So I don't care who spoke negative over you or what word curses were spoken or what stigma or name that was applied. You are a good man. God has his anointing upon your life. You are a good man. A good man. We've heard stories of some of these gentlemen talking about fatherhood, sonship, talked about who is significant in their life. And if we open the mic, everyone would have something to say, I'm sure, even though we're historically known for not being communicators. We would have something to say because we all have a story. But God has kept us. And so I have a responsibility to raise my family the best that I know how, and I need your help. I need my tribe's help, my village's help for me to raise my family, excuse me, for me to raise my family, for you to raise your family, you need your tribe, you need your people. We can't do it alone. But when men come together like this, woo, there's power. It's almost like this. 
this roar that comes out of men. We grill, you know, we growl and stuff. It's just that we're gonna be, we're gonna make it. So I want you to do me a favor and place your hand up on the shoulder of the brother next to you. Ladies, stretch your hand. In fact, ladies, if you got, if you got someone sitting next to you, do some, lay your hand on someone's shoulder too. We need one another, and I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Not only is it a prayer of salvation, because I think we need to be reminded of where we need to recall to God, but I want to pray a prayer of blessing. Father, we just ask for your blessing now, and I want you to repeat after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life, to, to be the man that I should be, the husband, the father, the leader, the head, the responsible one. I need your help to do these things. But I need you to know I place you Lord of my life. That I might be an example to the people coming behind me. That I might lead well with integrity, with character, with the spirit of righteousness. I want to be a kingdom man. So help me, Lord. Take full possession of me. I give you all of me, and I take all of you. Forgive me my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. You are my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now give God praise for the glory of heaven. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center.